Good evening. Welcome to Golden Beer Talks. It's great to see all of you. It's a special evening. We've just passed our fourth anniversary. Music. Do you guys, there we go. That was magical, wasn't it? You thought of it and they turned it off. That was beautiful. We're going to do a couple gratitudes, then we're going to move to the back of the room here. I'm going to move this microphone to the back of the room, and we're going to bring in Dr. Dale for a special occasion, and then we're going to come back up here. First, we want to start with thanking the staff here of the Windy Saddle, because they take such good care of us. They're awesome, pouring those beers and all the other stuff. We want to thank goldentoday.com, because they always prevent, or sorry, they always promote our events. <laughs> I kind of combined all those words. <laughs> See how I did that? <laughs> and they also promote Golden and all that's good about our community. If you haven't been to goldentoday.com and you care about Golden at all, you should go ahead and take a look at their website and sign up for some of the newsletters there. We also want to thank Greg Reed. He's a local musician who lends us this sound system, which is awesome. Obviously, his last gig was super rockin' because the mic stand got lost in the tussle. So we're, we're going hand mic tonight. And I'm going to bring it back here to Dr. Dale. We're going to have our annual very special table auction. I'm going to set this up for you just a little bit. What that looks like if you happen to win and you got to be lucky. But if you happen to win, you get this special table with the white tablecloth and the flowers, etc., and beer and food for you and three of your friends. For, for the month of your choice, for the talk of your choice. So that's something to think about. And, oh, and you get table service. So you can just sit there and, and the bottomless beers just keep coming to the table. It's just amazing. Dr. Dale himself has experienced this special treatment, so he can testify. I'm going to take this mic back to him. I don't need the mic. Do you think I need the mic? Do you think I need the mic? No! No! Okay, we got some test questions before we go off this option. What kind of shirt am I wearing? Hawks! Hawks! Oh, man! I got 100 out of 110. Oh, she put her hand up. Okay, we're going off. How many people live in Ward 3? Oh, thank you very much. You're a runner for people. Is our counselor? Okay. Huh? Ward 3 is across the street in the northeast part of Golden. It includes... Cool. Holiday. Holiday, you're right. Yeah, it includes holiday beer. Okay, we got to need to do an auction because we got a very special table. I mean, Luann, I've had one for the last three or four years. And so I can testify to it. So we're going to give everybody a chance to get in here right now. We're going to start this table for $75. I got $75 night. I got $75 over here. Give me $80, $80, $80, $80, $80. I got $80, give me $85. I got $85, now $90. I got $85, $90, $95. $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $95, $
cried many auctions in this. And his dad was a Pat. And my grandpa Pat was an auctioneer. And my dad's a ring man. Oh, I got $105 to stay on the table. I got 110 out the table. I got 110, 15, 15, 15, 15, not 20. I got 120. Woo! 100 and a quarter, 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 100
gluten-free beer. New Terrain Brewery has um, yoga on tap on Tuesday nights, 6 to 7. And Thursdays, they have live music, Thursdays, 6 to 9. Uh, this Thursday, they're having the Coteries. Next Thursday is actually Wednesday, because next Thursday is going to be Thanksgiving. So they're having it Wednesday night, and they're having Burn It Blue. And the following Thursday will be Shaky Hands String Band. Um, Mountain Toad has Art on or Art Rocks the Toad coming up three to six this Saturday, November eighteenth. Um, Jesse Crock, our local artist, comes and does some paintings. People watch. They drink beer, and they're going to have Weatherby and the Narbillies uh, playing and while as they raffle off the paintings, right? So this is your chance to get a Jesse Crock painting and drink beer. <laughs> uh, Golden City Brewery is kind of done with their events for the year now that it's getting cold out, but they do have root beer on tap, which they don't always. And their root beer is amazing. And their root beer is amazing, yes. Uh, Cannonball Creek doesn't seem to have events, but they are very good about posting their food trucks, so I'll just tell you what food trucks they have coming up this week. Uh, on the 15th, they have Stupid Awesome. The 16th, Rolling Dough. 17th, Going South. 18th, J Street. And Barrels and Bottles has an open mic night every, let's see, the last Monday of every month. So, turning to my speaker introducer role. Oh, let me just hold on. No. <laughs> Bet you weren't expecting that. <laughs> Our speaker tonight, Margaret Blaha, is a lifelong horse enthusiast, as you can see. <laughs> and as you can see, she had a little early encouragement from her parents. Margaret participated in the Western Airs for nine years, um, wound up on Red Team. There, what? Two, ten. Ten years, ten years. <laughs> Okay, and uh, wound up on their red team, their top team, and she spent two years um, studying horse training under the world champion, four years? Uh, I not only am her mother, but I wrote this bio, and she's correcting me. Okay, four years studying horse training under the world champion Colt starter in Nebraska. And uh, she is currently, oh yeah, she's participated in the Mustang Makeover, which is where horse trainers get a completely untouched, unworked on Mustang out of the wild, and they have typically 100 days to train it. And then they get together and they have a competition to see who got the best trained Mustang in that limited amount of time. And she's done it, you just tell me the number, five times? Or this <laughs> She's, she has done it five times in the past and has made it into the top ten each of those times. And she is now working on Mustang number six, which is Bojack. And uh, she'll be competing with him in Fort Worth in January. And uh, let's see, she is now serving as the full-time manager of the Horse Protection League while also training client horses. And she owns Clear Creek Carriage Company, which is the one that provides rides here in Golden at our special events. So, my daughter, Margaret Blaha. 
Wasn't that lovely? <laughs> I was super tempted to bring, we have like a little mascot. She's a pony and everything, so she's real small. But unfortunately, I wasn't feeling well enough to bring her tonight. I was feeling a little hoarse. No. Oh, that was bad. Okay, so hi, I'm Margaret. Um, I'm not as cute as I once was, but I'm still very interesting. So I manage the Horse Protection League. We are actually located, I'll go into the history a little bit first, and I'll talk to you guys about what we do being a horse rescue and what, what our mission is and that sort of thing. Um, so if you would hit the next slide. You're on slide duty. It's going to be payback. There we go. Okay, and then there's a few pictures that you'll have to rattle off. Okay, so Church's Ranch was uh, built in 1862 by John Church's. It was one of the first irrigated uh, properties in this area. Um, the ranch itself was actually used as a stop for um, a stagecoach from the Denver Mint. So there's actually a lot of history that happens on that property, which is why the city of Arvada was interested in it. So what happened was after the churches, the, after it left the family, um, the Jefferson County Open Space decided to take it over. And from Jefferson County Open Space, the city of Arvada kind of swooped in and bought it and wanted to preserve it. So they put it on the... Um, registry for historic buildings and that sort of thing and in 2006 they actually went through and renovated there's two main buildings that got renovated one is going to be the main farmhouse that we actually run like the office is in the upstairs part of that building and then we have um the lower half of that building is completely occupied with like tack and that sort of thing so people will bring tack to us and we resell it in our tax sale which is actually a huge fundraiser for us it's amazing how much money that brings in and it's people donating anywhere from you know kind of a old junkie saddle that somebody might buy to do like their pinterest activities with to like some pretty nice show saddles so um we use the building heavily i mean our board meetings are there we're going to be there thursday um having a board meeting and so in 2006, they renovated the ranch house. And then in 2009, the city of Arvada came again and renovated our barn, which is actually where we store all of our hay, which um, being a horse rescue is a huge thing. So, uh, you know, come winter, we're not getting fresh cuttings of hay. Um, if you guys have ever managed any kind of livestock, it can be a real nightmare to find hay for a reasonable price. Um, so the fact that they came in, restored the building, and now we can store, um, I think it's about 2,000 bales we can store on the top level of our barn, which is phenomenal. I mean, that feeds a lot of animals. Um, and then we can store another couple hundred, maybe closer to 1,000 on the bottom level of our barn. And that's saving us a tremendous amount of money. And it's all thanks to the city of Arvada recognizing the historic value of that property and coming in, yeah, to renovate the barn. So it's super cool for somebody like me. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. And um, now you guys get to see some pretty pictures. Look how gorgeous that is. Yeah, so that's the barn right there. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get you guys a picture of the ranch house I meant to, but I like to do things last minute, so everybody suffers because of it. Go ahead, and there's a few more. Oh, this was a little... So we have a hay field to the west side of our entire property, and there's a farmer that comes and cuts the hay. So we're actually reusing our own hay, which is fantastic. So we grow the hay and everything, and then the farmer comes, and he cuts it, and he bales it for us, and then we put it up in our own barn. And during the winter, he actually calves out his cows there. So, And one of the values, the reason that the city of Arvada leases the property to us is... Um, 
we, we use it like a ranch. So we still have cattle in the spring that come and calve out. And it's just such a wonderful experience. You know, we still have horses that run and graze. And uh, there's a lot of value to us using that property in such a historically accurate way, despite the fact that it was a dairy farm and none of us actually know how to milk a cow. All right, one more in there. See, look how beautiful. Okay, on to the next slide. Okay, so um, the reason that horse rescue is becoming a more popular theme, um, aside from the obvious, which is going to be like we've had advances in technology, we have better vehicles that can go farther, that use less fuel, we have more public transportation, we just have cities growing into each other. Um, what we have, and improvements in farming technology, although I lived in Nebraska for a number of years, and I will tell you guys, you'd be amazed how many people still run using horses for their machinery. It's actually quite a bit more reliable when it takes, you know, 40 miles to get to town versus just having some livestock that you know is going to be good to go in the morning. You guys would be amazed. But um, anyway, for, for situations where the city is easier and closer and people don't want to have horses, they'd rather have a tractor that sits there and doesn't eat day by day. Um, the, the purpose of horses has been changing over time. So we went from having an animal that had a purpose and a use to now we're having, we have vehicles that have replaced them for everything. Um, so in 1971, we had the Wild, free roaming, uh, Wild and Free Roaming Horse Act. And that was basically, it was, it, it was a, an act that was passed to keep the government from rounding up. We had wild horses on land, on, on public land, and it was to keep the government from rounding those up and taking them to slaughter. And that was kind of what I would call um, the floodgate of the need for horse rescue. So that started. So we, we quit rounding up all these wild horses, which means that the population is naturally going to grow because we're doing nothing to manage them. And kind of a side note, we also do a lot to um, mediate how many wolves are out there, how many natural predators we can have for the horses, um, because they're actually a non-native species to North America. They were brought over by the Spanish. So um, that was that was what I would recognize as being like the initial start of this need, this overpopulation of horses and the need to have something like horse rescue. Now, in 2007, we started regulating um, slaughterhouses for horses. And part of the issue with that was that we actually cut the federal funding to do um, the regulation checks on those. So the slaughterhouses were then responsible for very expensive inspections that they couldn't actually afford to. So although horse slaughter isn't technically illegal, it's basically impossible to manage. And now you also have organizations like you know, PETA or any other um, pro-animal organizations that are working very hard to shut down any interest there might be in starting up another uh, horse slaughterhouse. So we went from rounding them up and using them as meat and them being used as machinery and them being used as transport to what? We have hundreds of thousands of horses that have no position in our world anymore. So from what was once a very useful animal in a number of ways, has now it has no purpose. And it's slowly, um, just in my experience and what I've seen over timelines, you know, the horses are finding uh, more of a job in sports. So we have horse racing, and now we're getting more money poured into things like reining competitions, cow-cutting competitions. But it's, it's still a rich man's thing. So for your average Joe that just wants to have a horse in the backyard, it's kind of a different world to be a part of. And especially with the price of hay the way it is, you you know, like in Nebraska, I could buy a small square bale of hay for about four or five bucks. Here in Colorado, if you go to the feed store, if it's a drought year and, and people from Texas have come up and bought a whole bunch of our hay, you're looking at spending 15 to $20 for a bale of hay. A bale of hay is going to feed a horse, most horses, about a day and a half. Okay, so go ahead. 
Okay, so us as a rescue, what we do, we, we take horses in. Um, for the most part, our horses are primarily owner surrender. So that is like if a kid goes away to college and the, the, uh, the parents of you know, that kid have no idea what they're doing with a horse. They're like, hey, I have this wonderful animal, but my kid is gone. I don't know what I'm doing with it. I would really like to donate it to the rescue because I'm scared that a kill buyer and, and kill buyer, those are people that will purchase the horse and then take it out of the country to where, like to Canada or Mexico, where there are still slaughterhouses. Um, they're worried that a kill buyer will buy it because those people peruse Craigslist. They, I mean, everywhere. They're everywhere. So parents are really concerned about that. So we get a lot of parents calling because the kids have gone off to college. And um, wouldn't you believe it, college is actually more expensive than owning a horse. So, <laughs> so um, we also have a lot of instances where we have people that get... Um, really bad medical bills. So just unexpected um, cancer, I would say, is a really common one for an example. Uh, somebody gets really sick with cancer and they've had this horse in the family for years and years, but suddenly they just can't afford both the expensive feed and these medical bills that they're facing. Um, occasionally we will get abandoned animals. Now that's two different things. It's not always what you might think. There are the cases where a horse was just turned loose in a ditch. And this is kind of a chronic problem because anymore with feed, the cost that it is, people don't actually want to put their animal down, but they realize they can't actually afford to feed it. Um, and so people will turn their animals loose which is considered an abandoned animal, you know. So um, you can have them on public lands. You can also have them, like, along the interstate on ditch roads. It's amazing when people will, will just turn these animals loose and just hope for the best um, rather than surrendering them. So we get some of those. Um, and then we also get th – there's also instances where – so there's boarding facilities where people can keep their animals. That's what my parents lovingly did for a number of years. Um, they kept my horse at a boarding facility, and – if, if they had failed to pay for, you know, depending on the contract with your boarding facility, X number of days, uh, your, your animal is considered abandoned and the boarding facility can seize that animal and either choose to sell it or surrender it or any number of things. So we, I mean, even just recently, I think um, two of our more recent intakes were considered abandoned animals. So it's a shockingly common thing that people just, you know, they just can't make it, and then the animal is considered abandoned, even if it's just, you know, they haven't paid it in a couple months. But again, you're pouring a lot of money into this horse. This isn't just a space that you're no longer making money on in a boarding facility. This is an animal you're feeding every day. So um, it's a sticky situation, and it's hard for people to figure out how to manage that. And the last thing that we deal with is seized animals. So um, it's more commonly neglect. It's, I, in my experience and all the years that I've been doing this, it is not as common that you're actually dealing with abuse cases. Um, there's a lot of hot topics and media on cases of abuse, but that is not actually uh, – it's a minority of the situation. Um, most of the time, it's just people that couldn't afford to feed the animal, so they fed them less and less and less and less, and you'd be amazed how quickly a horse can lose weight. Um, so, you know, a concerned neighbor might call in or something along those lines. Now, there's a number of other rescues in the area, and for the most part, if the state has decided to seize an animal, they take them down to Franktown, Colorado, where we have Harmony Equine Center, and that's because they have big dollars and they can do a lot more training and a lot more evaluation on the animals. Um, but they don't always get the the focus that HPL offers our animals um, because it's just it's it's personally me looking at the animals and it's personally our assistant manager it's a lot um, tighter knit community that we're offering the animals so um, next slide 
Okay, so once we get the animals in, what we work on is rehabilitating them. Um, right, yeah, so this, is, uh, this was a horse that we got from, it was a children's camp, so you can send your kids up and they can ride horses for a couple weeks. It's, it's a wonderful idea, but the horse was elderly and he hadn't had, um, this is what you call floating a horse's teeth, and he hadn't had any dental care. So this is Dr. Dunbar from Littleton Equine. Um, and she's going through and she's basically using a drill to power float the horse's teeth. And it's very important that these teeth hit at an even, even level with the animals because otherwise they can't grind and mash the food properly. So, um, and just so you guys know, just for kind of a, a basis, um, horses are kind of old once they hit about 20. They can usually live to be about 30. Walter here is at least 35 years old and going strong. So this is a fantastic case where it was like these people were like, yeah, this horse is going to keel over at any moment. And HPL was like, we'll take him. Um, so anyway, so um, after we get them medically assessed by a veterinarian, then we take the animals in and we'll um, evaluate their diet and decide what they need. You'd be amazed how many horses actually don't have teeth anymore. They don't have grinding surface area. So a lot of our horses are on, um, you can take hay and compress it down into pellets and then you can soak those back up and you can make a mash, which is an absolute nightmare to have to feed because it's so heavy and it goes in buckets everywhere, but we do it. Um, for three animals right now on the property. So um, we figure out what kind of diet they need, if they need to be on senior feed, if they need to be on an all-around all feed, um, and we make sure that those animals get what they need. Um, from there, and that's, all, that's usually um, focused on by, again, another uh, uh, licensed vet. Um, but then from there, we go into handling and the appropriate training that any of the animals might need. So, like, appropriate handling is actually huge because you have a lot of people that don't necessarily have the training to understand how to work with an animal that might have seen um, less than favorable training or maybe just hasn't been touched in years and years or maybe has never been touched in its life. So we work very hard at educating our volunteers to understand what that horse might need in order to be both safe to a potential adopter but also feel confident and comfortable in its own environment. Um, being prey animals, it doesn't actually come naturally to us. We understand dogs pretty easily because they're another predator animal, but horses are prey animals, so we have to work pretty hard at educating. Oh, for shame. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I can't talk that fast. I'm pretty good, but go back. I worked so hard on getting those pictures. I was copying and pasting for hours. Go back a little more. Don't anybody read this. It's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> avert your eyes. Look at this. It's like I was ready for you to for you to have this moment. You lost half my slides. Oh, there we go. Okay. No, you found them. Good. Yeah, and the, the pictures kind of shake, so you should still go through that slide. It's cute. Killing it. Good job. Yep, yep. There you go. Click on that one. Nope, nope. nope. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Just go ahead and click on that one. Okay. But make it big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can start. She'll get it. I know what I want. What do you What is this? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. No, the pictures come on. It's okay. I'm totally teasing you. It's all right. <laughs> Look. <laughs> we trade them. <laughs> yeah. Millennial. <laughs> 
Okay. Yes, you're doing great. This is wonderful. You're, you're doing wonderful. Okay, um, so after we've worked on getting the horses to a state that we consider them comfortable and secure in their environment, we work on finding them homes. Um, and, and that's something that is actually a, a little newer to the rescue, I would say, especially since I took over. We actually, as a rescue, were a little bad about holding on to those horses and wanting to make sure, you know, just that they had the best life possible. But I want to find them homes. I want them to have lives. So... Um, Anyway, so we work on, one of the big things for me is appropriate advertising. If we have a horse that has arthritis in its knee, I want a potential adopter to know that and be able to treat it appropriately. Um, you will find, and this is, this is speaking as somebody who worked in the for-profit section of the horse world. Like, I was buying, selling, trading horses. Like, I knew what I was getting into. And I know how to write an ad very elegantly so that somebody doesn't question what that animal is going to be. And I've changed that with this horse rescue theme because if we're adopting an animal out to somebody, I want them to know every nitty-gritty of that animal's attitude. I want them to know every issue that animal might have down the line. And I want that animal to have the best chance of surviving um, and, and being comfortable while they do it. So anyway, so from anybody that's interested in being a potential adopter, we require an application. It has a non-refundable deposit. I mean, we take this you know, pretty seriously. We want only people that are serious. We don't want people to come in and just say, well, I might adopt a horse. Like... Put money down and prove it. Um, so we take applications, and then we actually go through together, um, and we'll call the references on these applications. Um, we will go and do property inspections. We will actually do, and, and it's, it's not just like we call the vet clinic that they say they have an account with. We call the farrier that they say, and a farrier is somebody that trims horses' hooves. Um, there's one right there. He's a farrier. Um, we, we call the farrier that they say they use, and we ask, you know, how regular does this customer call you and have you come out and trim your horse? Because horses need to be trimmed anywhere between four and eight weeks. Well, if this person is calling two times a year, that's not often enough. That horse needs more attention than that. So we really look into all the details of this person's life. And then we have personal references as well. Um, so, and then after we, okay, so livestock, cattle, horses, they all have brand inspections. And that is recognized by the state as proof of ownership. And so what we do is we will, if somebody passes all of our, you know, phone calls and they look like a good person, they seem to be, you know, well-rounded, we actually um, hold the brand inspection. So that person can take the animal and they keep them at their property and everything, but we will hold the state recognition of proof of ownership on that animal for anywhere from six months to a year. And that gives us a probation period to see if they're going to continue to feed the animal appropriately, continue to, you know, handle the animal appropriately as is, you know, uh, again, appropriate for what they need. If it, the horse can't be ridden, we want to see that the horse isn't being ridden during this time. Um, and, you know, for instance, I went up, uh, we had a horse that got adopted up by Granby. So I drove up the other day and I checked on this animal and I met with the brand inspector. And after a year of this woman owning the horse, we released it. The horse is officially owned by her, but she had to prove it for a year. So we take it, we take it really seriously. We really make sure that these horses aren't going to end up in the same situation that they were beforehand. Um, yeah, I think there's pictures. Oh, yes. So those were three ponies that all got adopted together. It was a super cute picture, especially since our tallest volunteer was holding them. And then there's one more. Okay, so this was, you remember that 35-year-old? That's him. Look at those little girls. They got a horse out of that. They got, like, it's, it was just the most adorable thing. They're crawling all over him, and he's like old man geezer. He was just like, okay, fine, another one of these. But he, it was a wonderful situation because otherwise, like, he and the two other horses that they were 
essentially surrendering to us. We're going to go to a public auction, which is where a lot of the kill buyers go. And they look for these older horses because nobody wants to bid on a 35-year-old horse that might just keel over. So we took a horse that potentially was going to go to an auction like that, and we gave them a loving family. I mean, it was incredible. It was just so heartwarming. So, okay, carry on. I'm, I'm done being mushy. Okay, so the, how do we do this? Okay, so we're a 501c3. We don't, we don't actually make any money off of the animals. I mean, we might charge a couple hundred dollars for an adoption fee, but in all actuality, they are very, very expensive to feed. The vet bills are astronomical. The farrier bills are insane. Um, and even, you know, we rent the property from the city of Arvada. Like, none of this is free. None of this is given to us. So we work really hard. We have a lot of regular donors um, that will just give to us month after month after month. Um, we also work really hard. We have a fabulous grant writer. Unfortunately, she wasn't feeling well and couldn't actually be here, here but she just got us $43,000. I mean, it's, it's amazing what she can manage with just writing, asking for money, and getting some of these grants. Um, that grant is going to permit us to get a truck. Um, which we so desperately need because um, our truck is just horrendous. It's just the worst. So um, it's amazing what the grants are, are doing for us right now, and, and I'm interested in focusing a little bit more on those. But we also hold fundraisers. So go ahead and press it again because now we have fundraiser pictures. Um, so this was, we had a horse. Um, we went up to South Dakota almost exactly a year ago, and we rescued a couple wild horses. Um, and we ended up, and I'm sorry it's so blurry. It looked way better on my tiny little laptop. Um, but we rescued a couple horses, and one of them ended up having a foal. And so she was born, that foal was born January 14th, and a month later, Valentine's Day, we put out this little flyer to everybody who was in our data database, and we just said, hey, do you want to give some money for this little baby on Valentine's Day? Do you want to do that for Valentine's Day? It'd be her Valentine. And that actually, just that one little, all we did was mail them out, and it brought us in uh, about $8,000. So it's amazing how just sitting there and saying, hey, we, we need a little help. Can you help us with this? Uh, we'll people will respond to that. Um, go ahead, and there's a couple more. Um, Recently, we had, everybody here would love this, so make sure you remember it for next year. We had drafts with drafts. So mom mentioned that I own a carriage company. Um, so I have draft horses. I have Clydesdales for that. So what we did was I gave my draft horses to this event. And on our property, we basically held, in previous years, it's been called a barn dance. But this year, um, we focused a little bit more on like having the carriages. And we went around, and we hand-delivered invitations to our neighborhood with the carriages. Um, you know, So little kids coming home from school were handing them little notes saying, like, hey, try to show up. Um, and it was amazing. It was a huge success. Um, we had Golden City Brewery donate the, the beer to us. We had, yeah, thank you, guys. Um, it was fabulous. It was seriously just the most amazing event. Um, you know, and, and so anyway, we work a lot on uh, getting our community involved with us and helping them understand what we do there because it is. It's a huge chunk of property in kind of a suburban area, and we want people to know what we do and how great it is and how important it is and how welcoming we can be. So, um, and there's a couple more. Another thing we do in the spring, so this was in the fall. This just happened. Uh, we also do casino night over at the Table Mountain Inn in the spring, which is great because, like, last year was my first year going, and it was, like, torrential downpour of just, like, these really thick snowflakes. So I'm like, oh, this is perfect for the springtime in Colorado. Let's be inside. Um, but we work on having a lot of different fundraisers and different things just to, again, bring people around and have them, um, you know, think about what we're actually managing there and what all we're tackling in, in terms of, like, uh, wanting to help horses and just change their lives. And, you know, it's, it's extremely costly. Okay, and there's one more with this. Oh, and the last thing we have is, sorry, did I scare you? <laughs> there's a horse, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, 
The last thing that we do, which is actually really successful as well, is we have sponsors for the horses. So we have a page on our website that our wonderful webmaster created for us recently. Um, and it talks about like exactly what everything costs, and it does a fabulous job of breaking down the monthly expenses of any animal. And I think until somebody w was to own a horse and really understand how expensive it gets and how quickly it gets um, added up, you wouldn't really know. So we, we have people that will pick out a horse and choose to sponsor this animal, and basically they make an annual donation or a monthly donation. We have different ways of working it, but um, they sponsor the animals, and they say, I'm going to pay for the farrier bills on this horse, you know, for the next six months. And that actually, when you have five different people sponsoring a horse, that adds up really fast, and that helps us out tremendously. And I think it's a little more gratifying for the sponsors because they actually get that feeling of, I did this, you know. It's, it's an A to B equation. Um, so anyway, next one. Uh, one more. There you go. Okay, so how do we do it all when it's just me and one other uh, <coughs> paid employee? We have volunteers. We have an incredible, unstoppable fleet of people who are showing up in weather that I would not even consider going outside in, you know, if there weren't animals out there, um, that show up every single day year round to do this or that or the other for the animals so we broke down the chores on the ranch um, into different sections so uh, the horses need to be fed every single day well what we did was we created a feed schedule and we have people we have our Monday morning feeders that come out every Monday morning and they feed the animals so we work on training them we teach them to recognize bad hay bad grain and uh, they go through and they know each of the horses they know exactly how much each, each horse gets and this is stuff that people get to learn you know if they've always wanted to be around horses it's an incredibly rewarding experience for a lot of people um, to get to be around those animals and get to see like oh like I learned how much weight to feed of hay to this particular animal because they're skinny um, so anyway and this is this was one of our events we have an, a volunteer appreciation lunch that we do every year and uh, and that's what this is and and just so you guys know this is not even a quarter of the number of people that are there this is just the most people I found in one picture at a time um, so we have open volunteer days where we just open the gates and anybody that wants to show up can, and that is Wednesdays and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, on those days, we also offer tours to anybody that's new and interested in exploring the property. The tours are fantastic because they give a lot of the history of the property, which, I mean, like history buffs like my parents love, you know, they're... Um, it's, it's a lot of backlog of Colorado and, and, and what that property offered to the area. So... Um, and then we have orientation. So people that are serious about wanting to stay and be regular volunteers will actually wait around. We have two orientation sessions a month, and basically that teaches you. Um, well, I run the orientations, and I basically teach everybody exactly how dangerous a horse could be because I want them to understand um, how, it, how they can keep themselves safe. And, of course, none of our animals are overly dangerous, but it's still an important thing to emphasize with people because they do get caught up in how dog gentle all of our animals are. So... We have those open volunteer days, um, Wednesdays and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, and then we have, I've, I've been working on a program that teaches people more intricate handling of the animals. Um, this has been kind of in the incubator for about the last year, and I kind of started instituting it in the last six months. But basically, I spend a lot more time working one-on-one -on -one with one person and one horse, and I teach them, okay, like, this is a behavior you're seeing in your animal. And it's a little more specialized, and it's um, focused more on the people that want to do more of the um, specialized handling with the, animal, uh, handling with the animals. So um, the horse exercisers are then allowed out on separate days to work specifically with their animals. 
And, um, and I knew it was working because we actually had uh, another one of our farriers come out and comment on how much better behaved a couple of our horses were, which is fantastic because if you have 1,200 pounds that's fighting you and telling you no, that's kind of a rough day. So if I can take the time to teach somebody how to teach the horse to be a little bit more manageable so that we can get the job done more efficiently, that's a phenomenal thing. Um, and we're getting compliments, so I must be doing something right. So... Uh, we also have volunteers that are completely behind the scenes. Um, we have a working board. So our board of directors is actually out there constantly working. Um, Bill Polson is actually one of our co-presidents right now. Raise your hand, Bill. Be friendly. There we go. Isn't he lovely? Um, and he's actually, he works extensively. He just got us over 600 bales of hay so that we could get through the rest of winter until the next first cutting of hay. So because of this guy, because of the work that he just poured into, and he's a volunteer. I mean, he, he has a full-time, you know, uh, sole proprietorship business, um, he, he is the reason that our horses are going to be able to eat because he spent the hours calling different hay buyers, finding comparable prices, and finding somebody that could get the hay to us. Um, so he's on our working board, and, and like I say, that grant writer that just got us $43,000 so we could buy a new truck and purchase the hay that Bill got um, and you know put a new floor on our flatbed trailer so we could go and get hay, she's also on the board. Again, another volunteer. And it's an amazing thing. Um, Especially where I came from, you know, I, I worked with one other guy in Nebraska, and I was starting colts. I was I was riding horses that bucked, and I was a crash test dummy for a number of years. Um, it was not glorious, but I learned a lot. Um, and, and it's amazing to go from that kind of an environment to coming here where people show up regularly on time because they want to be there. And um, it's an incredible thing to watch the board of directors work together because not only they don't even get to stand out there and like watch the horse eat the hay that they just gave it. They come into a room and they sit there and they bicker about different things for a number of hours to try to decide what's best. And it's amazing to me that they can see the long term effect of how that helps HPL, how that helps us in our overall mission. Um, and they stay dedicated. They stay loyal to what these horses actually need because as far as I'm concerned, having worked on both ends of what our volunteers do for this organization, they're absolutely the umbrella that, keep the, that keeps everything protected, safe, and going. I mean, they uh, found an attorney to, you know, like check our books. They found an attorney to rewrite our um, rules and regulations. And without all that, I mean, we could be incredibly vulnerable. Without Bill sitting there calling hour after hour after hour, I mean, our horses potentially wouldn't have enough hay to get through the winter. So... Um, the, the working board is extremely important. We also have people that are behind the scenes that I, I never see on the property, um, writing our newsletter and talking about all the goings on and sending it out to people that might be interested in what's happening. We have people that come out and they've been trained to especially work on equines in massage therapy, and they just come out and volunteer their time and effort. Um, we have a Reiki group that comes out and just uh, practices with the animals to help, you know, improve the energy on our property. So it's amazing to me what people want to give to this organization, just knowing what, it, what difference it's going to make in these animals' lives. Um, I got another one. Yeah, the future, the one that you guys didn't read while it was up for a while. Um, so in terms of a future for HPL, um, what we're working on is getting a better turnover in our horses. We want to get more ho horses adopted so that we can get more horses in. Um, that's the entire point of what we're doing. And it is difficult because, you know, in horse rescue, you're going to get a lot of horses that potentially aren't very rideable. They don't have a lot of use. And most people, if they're going to be spending $400 a month to feed an animal, they want to be able to ride it. So it's an interesting thing 
the only degree I have is in marketing, so it's an interesting thing to me to figure out, how do I make you want this horse? How do I tell you how valuable this horse is going to be to you? Um, so that's something we're constantly working on is, and um, it's a fantastic thing. There's actually an unwanted horse coalition conference that happens in L.A. annually, and they just flew me out for this conference. And so I got to network with all these different horse rescues, which was an amazing experience because I'm sitting there and I'm like, I cannot get my old crippled horses adopted. And I'm talking to this rescue that was based in, I think it was Wisconsin, and she was like, we can't keep them in. It's the young horses that are rideable that we can't get adopted. And I'm like, how? How is that a problem for you? Because I can't hold on to those for two seconds. They're adopted immediately. So it's interesting. And I think, um, you know, as I've been thinking about it and talking with these other uh, nonprofits and everything, I think that a lot of it has to do with our area. You know, this is a heavily growing area, and so people are spending a lot of money. Well, wherever they might have been in, I think it was Wisconsin, people could have had a couple acres to put a horse on, and it wasn't nearly as expensive. You know, so like if you own the land, um, what goes from being about $400 a month in board on an animal is more like 100 to 150. I mean, when I was, I, I found a guy that would lease me 300 acres worth of pasture at $10 a head in Nebraska. So I have four horses that cost me $40 a month. I mean, I mean, that's quite a price difference between two different areas. So we're looking at finding different ways of making these animals uh, desirable and finding the appropriate homes for them. And that potentially could mean looking farther out east where we maybe can't keep a closer eye on them, but maybe we do more thorough inspections. Either way, we want to find these horses' homes more in a faster manner so that we can help more in the long run. Um, we want to do more community outreach. And by that, I mean we just want people buzzing about us more. We want to talk more. So this is one thing we're doing. Hey, everybody, remember us. Um, and the other thing that we want to do with our community is we want to have available resources. So we actually, this summer, um, we purchased a squeeze chute. A squeeze chute is something that you can use for livestock animals, cattle, or horses. Um, and it's basically just a very heavy-duty, narrow chute that's built to handle. It's sunken concrete, so it's very durable. It's very sturdy. Um, but it's intended for an animal that hasn't been handled or is very dangerous or something along those lines. Um, you can basically gently run them through um, the chute system, and then you can manage the animal because they're stuck between two gates. And it doesn't harm them in any way. Um, it's just a safe way of administering any drugs that animal might need. When I worked in a vet clinic, we had a cow that had an abscess in its throat, and I was not going to touch that cow without that squeeze chute there. But, you know, it was, again, I could spray it out. I could administer the antibiotics. I could give it the shots that it needed, um, all because that chute was there. So we worked very hard, and we purchased this chute. And now we're opening up our availability. So say somebody went out and adopted a horse that was completely untouched and completely wild. Well, now they can call us and say, I really need some help. This horse got hurt. I need to be able to give it penicillin. Can I come and use your chute? Because, you know, you'd be amazed, but Golden Animal Hospital, although they deal with livestock, they do not have an animal live sh- uh, livestock chute. Um, I think the closest one might be as far down as Franktown, Colorado with Harmony Equine Center. Right. So it's impressive because you have, you know, I I should have run the numbers. It would have been smart. But um, you have an impressive number of horses in this area alone. So... um, so we got this shoot, and we're hoping that we can, we can make it a community resource for people. Um, if you got upside down on a wild horse so you just know that they're going to be too dangerous to work with, now people can call us, and we can give them a resource that can be incredibly valuable both to their safety and to the animal's health. Um, we want to capitalize a lot more on the historic value of our property. Um, I'm, I'm 
working with the city and with a number of different people so that we can get like kind of a walking tour set up along the property so people can walk through and find out, oh, you know, like this happened here 150 years ago. Um, and just make it a little bit more interesting for people that are, are wanting to learn a little bit. I mean, like my mom's a total history nerd and she would love to come and read about all that, you know, and, and I'm vaguely interested. I would read it if it was there. So I'm just looking at making it an interesting experience for people that maybe, you know, like a husband that got drug along to go to a horse rescue. That person should have something to do there too, right? Like, um, I consider it. Okay, so, um, oh, and I want to, we want to work on our program development more. So, like, when I talked about people that are handling our animals, um, how am I doing on time, by the way? Okay, I'm just, I'm just going. Okay, all right, wrap it up. All right, you got it. Okay, Um, so we want to work on having more programs for the horses. I want to get people on the horses and riding them. Part of that is that, you know, you can get thrown from a horse and if you haven't been a crash test dummy for four years, you might get thrown. So I have to be careful about that, but we want to get the animals out and exercised a lot more. And I'd love to get them um, on the trails and in front of the public more because we kind of stay in our tight knit community there. But Bill and myself and Jamie, um, his wife actually took a number of the horses out the other day and rode them down the trail. And, you know, of course we didn't actually get to advertise them, but um, it was just a neat experience to be out in the community. Um, oh, and then educational resources. So I want people to understand, you know, like why, like stop breeding your horses in your backyard because we already have a plethora of them and that's why horse rescues are becoming necessary. I want people to understand the dangers of not um, gelding a horse or spaying a mare or any of those things. Um, just, uh, I believe heavily that if we attack it with just as much education as we possibly can, including people that are interested in handling the horses more, they can get educational resources from us. We have a very small library on property. If people have questions about something, they can check out a book. Um, we also have a number of training DVDs on the property. It's just all about educating yourself more with horses because a lot of people haven't had that opportunity. Um, unfortunately, they didn't have my parents. So it's an amazing thing to be able to give people the resources. Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing thing to be able to give people the resources that they might be interested in. So anyway, that is what we do. We're going to take a quick break for Q&A. Before we do, I do want to mention that Charlie and Janine are here from Golden City, and we love to have brewers in the house, and these guys are awesome supporters of what we do, and we do appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. And then just a geographic reference, if you aren't familiar with Churches Ranch, so it's, it's really just north and east of the North Table Mesa. So it is north and west. You're right, north and west of the North Table Mesa. So it is really close to our community. Just It's off 58th yep. Avenue. So if you take 58th as far as it goes until it comes into, what is that, Easley? Yep. That's where the ranch is. So it, is, it really is part of our community. So I just wanted to add that geographic reference, too. Let's take a quick break, and we will come back for Q&A. So think about your questions for Margaret. Excellent. All right, cool. If you need another beer, they're back there. And she does. You can hear me though, right? A little bit through the mic. There we go. Awesome. When she's available, we're going to get Margaret back. Yeah. (laughs) So you get to pick the folks who want to ask questions. Please repeat the questions so we have it on the recording. Cool. So after we do this, we will record this. We'll post it as a podcast on our website, and we'll distribute it when we send our next reminder. If you're not on our email list, then definitely leave your email up at the front or with me.
Cool. So here's my right. All righty. Who's ready for more talking? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. Okay, so Reader's Digest version of How to Train a Wild Horse. Okay. It, it really, okay, so just like everybody has different personalities, so do the horses. Um, you have some that are incredibly docile from the moment you pick them up, although they are wild and have never been touched. They're just not that concerned about it. You also have ones that are pretty sure that you are going to kill them at any second of any day, and they better watch you. The one I have right now is the latter. Um, so what I did when I got him uh, was I immediately saddled up my incredibly broke and very reliable horse, and I roped this other wild horse from his back because when you work the two horses together, he, he gains confidence because he sees that although you are upon another horse's back, you have not killed that animal yet. So although he's still skeptical, um, he gains a little bit of confidence just having another horse in the pen with him. So it removes some of the discomfort of being handled by a predator animal. Um, so from there, I slowly worked him closer and closer to me. You can use a number of tools. A lot of times, um, breaking up your actual touching of the animal by using like a longer stick, they call it a carrot stick, but reaching out and touching that wild horse with something other than your physical um, actual hand will really help build their confidence that touch is going to be okay. Um, so, so like horses in general are not, they don't touch each other. If you see horses together, they might groom each other for five or 10 minutes to get like an itch on somebody else's back. Um, but they don't actually sit there and cuddle the way that a puppy does. They don't cuddle the way that a kitten does. And that's what you're talking about with the difference between livestock um, or prey animals and predator animals. Predators, we touch constantly because that's life. Um, we touch to kill. We touch when we're raising our young. We touch, touch, touch. So for us, reaching out and petting a horse is a bonding experience. For that horse, that horse has learned since day one, if it's getting touched, it might die. So... Um, it's a very different thing. You're not only working through a very defensive animal that does not speak your language, but you're also working through an animal that has taught itself over its entire upbringing that touch is bad. And, and so you have to be able to bridge that gap really accurately. So body language is extremely important with those animals. Um, looking at them straight on versus looking at them at an angle can make a difference to them. Uh, but, but really, um, touch is usually the number one thing. So if you can do something to kind of help that animal hold a little bit still. So in my case, I, I roped him. Um, and then I worked on him accepting touch. And it actually it only took me about an hour, um, which... For comparison, this horse took me an hour to get a halter on. The one that I had in 2016, I had a halter on her before she exited the trailer, which is unbelievable. Um, and I had one in 2012 that took me five weeks to get a halter on. So that's how different they are. I mean, it's, you know. Um, but anyway, I had a halter on this one in about an hour, and I taught him how to load in a trailer immediately after that. Um, so it really just varies from case to case. What you have to do as a I, – I prefer the, the, the word horseman or horsewoman – as opposed to trainer, um, it, it refer that term reflects um, finesse with the animal, not forcing the animal onto an agenda. Um, so when you're working with an animal and you're practicing horsemanship, you're actually practicing reading different body language, different personalities as accurately as possible um, and giving them what they need in order to feel confident and secure in their environment versus just 
well, you're a wild horse and you're going to take this right now. It's, it's a lot different how you work with the animals. I'm going to keep talking for forever if I don't shut myself up because I love this. <laughs> so more questions? Yeah. It was ISPMB Sanctuary. Is that the one you're talking about? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, what was the question so I can repeat it? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So South Dakota Rescue. Um, yeah, absolutely. So that was actually, um, and I had just started this job and I was like, okay, yeah, that's what we do. We rescue things. And I got up there and I was like, what a nightmare. It was um, an unbelievable experience. And I actually, I called my mom and I was like, hey, are you up for a 15-hour drive to South Dakota to go get some wild horses? And it was a blizzard and the roads were black ice. And it was like just the most humbling and upsetting and frustrating. Um, you know, I was out there for probably about, I don't know, about 10 hours in the blizzard just trying to round up wild horses. It was an incredible experience. But yeah, we ended up out of that nightmare of a situation. We did rescue two and one of them was bred and she did have a baby and that baby is the most adorable thing and was born on my birthday. So it was clearly meant to be. Um, but yeah, we're changing their lives. We got halters on both of them. They're slowly progressing. I mean, they're very wild. They'd never, um, I remember coming down I-25 and every time a semi passed us, they're rattling the trailer. They'd never been in a trailer. They never even saw a semi. They lived on 600 acres of nothing for their entire lives. So it was incredible. But we got this baby out of it. And she is just the most adorable, like, little punk of a horse you've ever seen. She's into everything. And she loves it. So, yeah, absolutely. That was, that was where we got them from. Yeah. Describe what a companion animal is. Describe a companion animal. So, um... In horse rescue, you basically have two terms, and one is going to be like a riding horse, which is the kind that we can adopt very easily because it's something that somebody can ride. Um, the companion animals are the ones that maybe have arthritis or a condition called ring bone or a condition called navicular, but all of those basically make their legs hurt and means that they can't carry weight comfortably. Um, in, the, in the instance of companion horses, uh, we've had good luck with horses that we can teach tricks to, so horses that might bow on command or horses that might go and fetch something on the ground, those horses are desirable. But it is hard to get these companion horses that people can't actually ride adopted because people don't understand what value they might have in their life. And to be fair, I mean, they are eating about, you know, three to $400 of money a month. Um, but companion means that they cannot be ridden. They are no longer capable of being ridden. That's right, and that's why we call them companion, not geriatrics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, marketing degree. <laughs> you have any more questions? I can just go on forever. Oh yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Heck yeah. What do you have to do to be able to volunteer with HPL? So um, you have to come on one of our open volunteer days. Um, if you're not interested, so interested in the tour, your interest sounds more horse-driven, good on you. Um, 
What you have to do is show up. I recommend on one of our orientation days because regardless of your horse knowledge, we make you go through orientation so that you can understand exactly how we expect things to be done. Um, from there, you can express interest in like being one of our extra horse handlers and that sort of thing. Right now, it's kind of an open door policy. In time, I'm going to develop um, basically a test that you have to take in order to get into the program. Uh, but right now, it's just kind of an open door. Express the interest. Work with me a little bit, and, and I'll get you working with some of the animals. And then, yeah, um, if, if from there you want to be able to ride some of the animals, again, another test just to prove that you probably won't fall off and get yourself killed on my watch. Um, and, and we'll get you on a couple of the animals that we have that are rideable right now, which would be fantastic because that is something I need is, um, is experienced riders because we have great horses, but they still need somebody with a little bit more experience than none. So great question. Yeah. Yeah. See, she's listening to that volunteer hour time. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have any more? Yeah. So for the most part, we're getting, where do the horses come from that we get? I'm trainable. Um, <laughs> um, where do the horses come from that we get? So for the most part, we're getting local horses. Um, our most recent intake was from, what were the cross streets of it? I mean, yeah, like a nine minute drive from where we're located. So those owner surrenders are usually pretty local to us. Um, however, we do drive to South Dakota to go and rescue horses. So it, it really depends on the situation. Um, we try to do a little bit more, you know, outreach if we know a situation has come up, a drastic one like that. But when it comes to owner surrenders, it just makes more sense um, for people to call us because we're close and us to go because we're close. Uh, adopting, we actually go all over. We've adopted horses out of state as far as the East Coast. Um, like I said, we adopted that horse that went way up to Granby, and the reason we had to do the brand inspection was because she was going to Utah immediately after that. Um, so we are not, like, in the event where we're looking at a property and we're concerned about, you know, these potential adopters, we might look them up on Google Maps or something like that and check a fence line that way um, just to make sure that, you know, the animal's going to have enough space, that they're not going to use anything that we don't agree with um, for fencing, that sort of thing. But um, that's a handy tool to have. Yay for technology anymore. But, um, but yeah, we, are, we, we don't restrict where horses can go. We just, you know, we have to do extra steps if they're farther away. Great question. Yeah. How many horses do you typically have, and how many do you have? So we have room for, I think it's, oh, sorry. Thank you. Yeah, see? Good, good parenting. Um, <laughs> so uh, how many horses do we have, and how many can we house? So I think we actually have a total of 31 pens. Um, however, because horses can have extremely contagious diseases, we actually try to keep about three of those available at all times for um, any kind of cases where we need the horse to be quarantined for any period of time. So although we have 31 pens, we actually only have, I think right now we have about 24 horses in the rescue. Um, so we have a fair number less than the, the actual pens that we have room for. Um, and, and, and some of those are long-term residents, and some of them are quick turnovers. I mean, we got those three ponies adopted, um, like I showed you in that one picture, and that was pretty recently, and then we immediately had those spots filled again. So it's incredible. We sit there, and we're like, oh, no, we have this pen open. And then 24 hours later, we're like, and we're going to get this horse. So um, we, we do a great job of keeping our pens filled and trying to get horses out, you know, and adopted and everything. But um, we have a little more space than what we use, but we keep that space for safety. 
um, to keep the other animals from getting sick in case one is. So, yeah, great question. More? Yeah. I do have a card. I have many cards. Please ask me for a card. I would love to be in contact with everybody. Any more? We good? Have I talked enough? I can keep going. Thank you guys so much for coming. So next month we have a speaker who is visiting from Kenya to work with some of our local schools about clean water projects for villages in Kenya. And they've actually set up some livestock programs in some of these villages as well as fair trade uh, just shopkeeper type of projects in, uh, in these different parts of Kenya. So I hope that you'll come out and check it out. And it's the second Tuesday of every month. If you can't make it that month, try the next one. Thank you so much for coming to Golden Bear Talks. <laughs>